Ecclesiastes chapter 7. If you're there, you say, let's go. A wise old Chinese woodcutter lived on the troubled Mongolian border. One day, his favorite horse, a beautiful white mare, jumped the fence and was seized on the other side by the enemy. Well, his friends knew how much he really cherished that uh, horse, and so they came to comfort him. And they told him that they were sorry to hear the bad news about his horse. He said, how do you know it's bad news? He said, it may be good news. A week later, the man looked out his window, and he saw his mare returning at, at breakneck speed. And beside her was a beautiful stallion. He put both of them in the enclosure, and later his friends came to admire the new addition and, and, and congratulate him, and they commented on the beauty of, or, of, the, of the horse and said, man, that's good news. The man replied, how do you know it's good news? It could be bad news. The next day, the man's only son decided to try and ride the stallion, and it wasn't long, and the horse threw him and broke his leg. His friends made a visit, and of course they were very, very sympathetic, and said, man, we're so sorry about what happened to your son, that's too bad. The man said, how do you know it's bad? It could be good. Then a month, war erupted between China and Mongolia. Chinese recruiters came through the area, pressing all of the, the young men into service. And every one of those newly recruited young men died in battle, except the woodcutter's son, who couldn't go off to war because of his broken leg. And speaking to his friends, he said, you see, those things that you thought were good were actually bad. And those things that you thought were bad were actually good. Now, if you would have been with us the last couple of studies in the book of Ecclesiastes chapter 7, then you would understand that that Chinese man's philosophy would have fit perfectly in the philosophy of, of, of Solomon. Solomon teaches us that sometimes... The things that we think are good aren't. And the things that we think are bad are actually good. And for two weeks we studied a series of, of better comparisons made by Solomon. For example, he taught us that burial is better than birth. And we normally wouldn't think that, but he explains it for us. And we'll not go through all of that explanation. He taught us that mourning or grieving is better than merriment. Correction <clears throat> is better than commendation. Effort is better than ease. And the present is better than the past. The truth is, and, and I know you know this, 
But the truth is, life is a paradox that cannot be solved with our own wisdom. And we need that wisdom which is from above. We need God's wisdom that increases our perspective on the events of life. Now, some of you who enjoy the Olympics, both summer and winter, you may remember the name Dan Jansen. He was an, an, an American Olympic speed skater who, after suffering a, a series of devastating defeats and setbacks, finally won the gold medal in the 1,000-meter race in Lillehammer, North Norway, in 1994. And it was as a, a young skater that he learned to keep defeat in perspective. For example, while competing in the Youth National Skating Championships in Minnesota at the age of nine, he was positioned to capture the title. But he tripped on a lane marker coming around a turn, and it cost him the victory. The story says that he was so distraught that he cried through the entire medal ceremony. And the complete six-hour drive home. His father never said a word about what had happened until they pulled into the driveway. But what he said then had stuck with his son ever since. By his own, own testimony, his father looked at him and said, You know, Dan, there's more to life than skating around in a circle. Now, that may sound somewhat cruel and insensitive from a father whose son had just suffered a devastating setback, but it's true. There is more to life than skating around in a circle. And hats off to a father who was wise enough to teach his son that at such an early age. The father's words obviously did not squelch his son's desire to be the best. It just helped him keep victory and defeat in perspective. And again, that's what the wisdom from above does. The wisdom that Pastor Tyler has been teaching us about uh, so aptly and so incredibly on Sunday nights uh, in our study of the book of Proverbs, wisdom that is from above, that wisdom that comes from God, listen, it's not going to solve all of our problems or necessarily make our ride through life any smoother, but what it will do is give us the right information, which in turn will help us process the things that come into our lives and will help us keep things in perspective, which is so incredibly important. How many of you remember, I mean, this was years ago, 
that they came out with those pictures. They said they were pictures. They just, they were color. They just had all kinds of crazy designs on them. And, and they told you to stand there and stare at it. You with me? You remember that? You're supposed to stand there and stare at it. And then you back away. Wow, there's a Statue of Liberty. Or whatever. How many of you remember those? Oh, absolutely. I mean, you look, you look like a doofus. You know, and then your eyes cross, and you got to shake it off. And some of you don't know what I'm talking about. You have missed out. But anyway, I got pretty good at that. Somebody bring, hey, you seen this one? Yeah, wow, there it is. That's cool. And sometimes they try to trick you. Yeah, there's a dog in there. No, it ain't a dog. It's a Statue of Liberty. So you didn't fool me. So I wasn't cheating. Now, Brother Landis, our former pastor, could not see those for the life of him. He swore anybody that could see him was demon-possessed. I mean, he could not see those things for anything in all of the world. You say, well, Pastor, what's your point? The point is gaining God's perspective through the proper use of divine wisdom really works a lot in the same way. The outset of a situation when, when we encounter something or something comes into our life, I mean, all we can see is chaos. When you first look at those pictures, there's no art there. It's just a bunch of crazy lines and whatever, and all different colors, and they really, I mean, you really would get dizzy if you looked at it long enough. It was that crazy. But once you stepped back, Whatever was in there, whatever was hidden in there, came into view. It came into perspective. And the point tonight is this. As we begin to employ that wisdom which is from above, and we fix our eyes on Jesus, it really will help us keep so many things in this life. In perspective. Solomon encourages us to employ godly wisdom in four areas, and that's what we're going to look at tonight. In verses 11 and 12 of Ecclesiastes 7, he talks about wisdom, employing wisdom in handling prosperity. Look at it, verse 11 of <clears throat> chapter 7. Wisdom is good with an inheritance, and by it there is profit to them that see the sun. For wisdom, watch this, wisdom is a defense, and money is a defense. But the excellency of knowledge is that wisdom giveth life to them that have it. Now again, if you've been with us, Throughout the course of this study, then you know that we've already talked about uh, some of this in, in, in those early studies. And we talked about, I think we had like three lessons on, on, on money and 
how to handle it and how to look at it and, and how to consider it and, and all of that. And we talked then about how many times we've either witnessed or read of how prosperity was the downfall of someone. You know why that is? Because they don't possess the wisdom to use their wealth the right way. They come into money, so they spend money. They come into money again, and they spend money again. And it's just as it comes in, it goes out. It comes in, and it goes out. It comes in, and it goes out. And it just keeps going that way. Why? Because they don't have the wisdom from above that teaches them how to look at money and how to spend money and how to save money and how to use money. Listen, it takes wisdom to use money right. It takes wisdom to honor the Lord with that with which we are blessed. Solomon makes an interesting statement in verse 12 when he says money is a defense. Did you see that? He said money is a defense. That is, it's useful in providing some protection against the practical difficulties of life. For example, in other writings of Solomon, he says that wealth surrounds us with people, with friends. Proverbs 19.4, wealth maketh many friends. And Proverbs 19.6, every man is a friend to him that giveth gifts. Also Proverbs 14.20, the rich hath many friends. Wealth provides a sense of security. Proverbs 10.15, the rich man's wealth is his strong city. Money can solve problems as we find in Proverbs 13.8, the ransom of a man's life are his riches. I mean, let's be honest tonight. Money can do a lot of things. And they're not all bad. But the one thing that it cannot do, according to Solomon, is profit in the day of wrath. Proverbs 11.4, riches profit not in the day of wrath. But righteousness delivereth from death. Wisdom, on the other hand, is of the greatest profit, both now and in eternity. And really, that's the truth that Solomon wants us to grasp. Of wisdom, Proverbs 8.35 says, For whoso findeth me, findeth life, and shall obtain favor of the Lord. Now, I want you to keep your place there in Ecclesiastes and turn back to the book of Proverbs chapter 3. Can we do that? Proverbs chapter 3. Happy is the man that findeth wisdom, and the man that getteth understanding. 
For the merchandise of it is better than the merchandise of silver, and the gain thereof than fine gold. She is more precious than rubies, and all the things thou canst desire are not to be compared unto her. Length of days is in her right hand, and in her left hand riches and honor. Her ways are ways of pleasantness, and all her paths are peace. She's a tree of life to them that lay hold upon her, and happy is everyone that retaineth her. So what's the point here? Solomon's point is this, as Pastor Tyler pointed out, wisdom far exceeds wealth. Wealthy people who lack wisdom end up miserable because their wealth becomes a curse instead of a blessing. Wisdom, again, gives us or gives perspective to prosperity. I'll say it again. I've said it many, many times. God is not against money. God is not against someone who has lots of money. God is not against someone who's been blessed with, with this world's goods. God God's not, doesn't have a problem with that. What God has a problem with is when those persons fail to see their wealth from a biblical perspective. They fail to see their success from a biblical perspective. And they begin to think that it's all about them when they need to remember and be reminded from time to time that it's all about him. It's not about their skill and their genius and their ingenuity and, and uh, their shrewdness. It's about God blessing them with those things. And so wisdom helps us to have the right perspective. And the right perspective is this, as I just said, all things from, come from God and are to be used to honor Him. That's the biblical perspective we should have when it comes to this world's wealth. Verses 13 and 14, Solomon talks about how wisdom, we need to have wisdom in accepting adversity. Look at verse 13. Consider the work of God. For who can make that straight which he hath made crooked? In the day of prosperity, be joyful. But in the day of adversity, consider. God also hath set the one over against the other to the end that man should find nothing after him. Reminds me of what we studied a couple of weeks ago where Solomon said that mourning is better than merriment. Look at it again. He said, in the day of prosperity, be joyful. But in the day of adversity, consider. Consider. 
reminded of Job's words to his dear, precious, loving wife <laughs> when he said, curse God and die. Job's response was, Thou speakest as one of the foolish women speaketh. What? Shall we receive good at the hand of God? And shall we not receive evil? Job displayed superb wisdom in his response. That's the right perspective when it comes to adversity. Life is not always good. Life is not always easy. And I'm, I'm, I'm like anybody else in this room tonight. I like good times. I like it when life is good. But I struggle a little bit when it's not. Can I get a witness right there? I struggle a little bit when it's not good. And church, listen, this is where godly wisdom comes into play. It helps us to understand that the same God allows both. As Job said, shall we not, shall we receive good at the hand of God and not receive evil? In other words, he said, is, 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 is it right of us to think that, that life just always ought to be good? And, and he had the right perspective. As we learned in our last study, uh, there's much to be learned during the difficult times of our life. That's why Solomon said, in the day of prosperity, be joyful. But in the day of adversity, what did he say? Consider. Well, pastor, consider what? There are a number of things for us to consider. Number one, consider who God is. And stop and consider who we are. And consider what it is, and this is important. Try and, and consider what it is that God's trying to teach us at that particular moment. Through that difficult time, through that hardship, through that setback, through that sorrow, through that grief. What is it that God is trying to help me see? What's he trying to teach me? Because listen, God never does anything just to have something to do. Huh? I'm bored today. So, I mean, how does a guy who created it all and sustained it all ever get bored? God doesn't do anything just to have something to do. Everything he does or everything he allows to be done is done deliberately and with a purpose. So here's what that means. There are no accidents with God. And we may or may not ever discover 
what that purpose is this side of eternity. And that's something else we've got to come to grips with, folks. As we're looking and we're considering and we're trying to make sense of this, that may not happen this side of eternity. But we know that God will make it right on the other side. Going back to those pictures that I mentioned earlier, I told you that I, I really got pretty good at uh, eventually seeing what was hidden, but as I said, Brother Landis couldn't. And, and I, I say that to say this, some, sometimes God shows us, and sometimes God doesn't. Sometimes we're able to step back from a situation, and uh, I mean, there's that aha moment. It's like through all of the chaos and all of the, all of the, the stuff going on, it, some point we're able to step back and, and God makes it clear. I mean, that was the life of Job. He, I mean, Job couldn't understand anything of what was going on. And then at the end, he said, I've heard you, I've heard about you with my ears, but he said, now I see. And that's the way it is so often in our lives as Christians. I mean, tragedy happens, and, and things go on, and we're just trying to make sense of it, and, and we're just trying to, to look for God in all of this, and, and we're looking, and we're looking, and we're looking, and it's like God's not anywhere. And then it's like, well, boom, there's God. You know, I don't like to talk about our, our son's death all the time. But every now and then I'll, I'll get to struggling with that. And it's just not making any sense. And like every time God says, yeah, but what about Sally? Sally got saved at TJ's funeral. A couple weeks later she got baptized. The last I talked to Sheena, she's still in church, First Baptist Church in Bergen. And I don't know that that really clears a lot up, but I know that God used that. Two other families joined Bergen Baptist Church, First Baptist Church of Bergen. Because the, the fathers, the husbands in the home said, I, 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 I need to be that kind of man. I'm happy for that. I'm glad that's happened, and, and it helps as we step away from the chaos and the, the grief and the tears, the sadness, the hurt, to see that there is something that, that has come of that. I posted this today on Facebook. How come it is when good things happen, we never question God. <laughs> but when bad things happen, it's like, I mean, we're on his doorstep demanding an answer. Why God? Why God? Why God? But when good things happen, 
When's the last time something really great happened in your life and you went, why, God? Is that a fair question? Could it be that somehow we think we're entitled to that? We deserve that? Last time I looked, this Bible says that we're sinners. How can we be deserving of anything good? Just just something to think about. We're talking about wisdom in accepting adversity. Well, how about exercising a a little wisdom in, in receiving prosperity? Man, God's been good to me. Thank you, Lord. I don't know why you've done it, but I'm glad you've done it. Wise people know that God is in all of it. And they also know this, that he's never closer to us than in our affliction. Pity those who have never known the comforting presence of God in the eye of the storm. Now, do I want to give up another child to be close to God? Absolutely not. But those that have been there and done that, or something similar, I tell you, never before, never before have I understood more clearly The saying that adversity will either make you bitter or better. Never, never before had I understood that like I understand it now. And if we exercise wisdom in accepting adversity, we'll be better. And I'm talking about that wisdom from above. Listen, the the wisdom that this world offers will not help us come to the right conclusion in times of adversity. It's the wisdom of God, the wisdom from above, is the only thing that can help us. Bible teacher and, and, and author Warren Wiersbe, I quote him often, put it this way. God balances our lives by giving us enough blessings to keep us happy and enough burdens to keep us humble. If all we had were blessings in our hands, we would fall right over. So the Lord balances the blessings in our hands with burdens on our backs. That helps to keep us steady. And as we yield to Him, He can even turn those burdens into blessings. So here's a a formula for contentment and maturity. Blessings in the hand plus burdens on the back equals balance in the spiritual life. Let's go to verse 15. I can't see that clock and I left my watch. Was it 15 too? Is that it? Okay. Verse 15 real quick. All things have I seen in the days of my vanity. There is a just man that perisheth in his righteousness. Now now stay with me. There is a just man that perisheth in his righteousness, and there is a wicked man 
that prolongeth his life in his wickedness. Wisdom in, in judging equity or fairness. I mean, it brings up the age-old question, why do good people suffer and bad people prosper? That's what Solomon said. I've seen good, righteous people perish. But yet I've seen ungodly, wicked people live for years. And I'm telling you, you try to, you try to wrap your mind around that from, from just a, a worldly perspective, that makes no sense whatsoever. Again, keep your place there in Ecclesiastes 7 and go back to Psalm 73. We're not going to read all of, all of this, though, though it's good. In the first 15 verses of this psalm, Asaph bemoans the, the same thing that Solomon is talking about. He bemoans the fact that too many good things happen to too many bad people. If we want to be carnal tonight, we could say, that's right. Too many good things seem to happen to bad people. And he reaches the point in verse 13 of this psalm that he's about convinced that all of this righteous living and all of this, as I would put it in today's vernacular, all of this going to church and reading my Bible and praying and tithing and serving and doing all of those things, it ain't worth it. Because I see people around me who are living for God and they're dying early. And I see people at work, I see people in my city and in my school and wherever that, that, that don't give a rip about God. They don't get cancer and they don't have heart attacks. And they just live and live and live and live and live. And this guy came to the point in verse 13 that he, he, he was done. But I'm done with this. But look at verse 16. He said, when I thought to know this, when I tried to figure that out, he said, it was just too painful for me. Until, if you mark in your Bible, underline that word, circle that word, until I went to church. Then understood I their end. Surely thou didst set them in slippery places. Thou casteth them down into destruction. How are they brought into desolation as in a moment? They are utterly consumed with terrors. Now, let me stop there and say this. Understand what he's saying here. When he, he, he got in God's house, he, he went to the sanctuary, he, 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 he went to church, and he is reminded of the end of the ungodly and the wicked. Verse 20, as a dream 
When one awakeneth, so, O Lord, when thou awakest, thou shalt despise their image. Thus my heart was grieved, and I was pricked in my reins. In other words, he's saying, when, I, when, 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 when God reminded me of that, I was so convicted. So foolish was I, verse 22, and ignorant. I was as a beast before thee. So what's he saying, and what do we need to remember tonight? The wicked seem to prosper only, listen church, only if you take the short view of things. Yeah, they're way ahead of you right now. They, they live in a better house than you live in and drive better cars than you drive and own better, uh, 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 wear better clothes than you wear and, and, and seem to be more successful than you are. But listen, you can't afford to see that from the world, that's a worldly perspective. In the end, listen, it will be the righteous. Listen, it will be the righteous who rejoice. And I say this with no pleasure tonight. But the wicked will weep and wail and gnash their teeth in that awful place of unending pain and agony called hell. And that brings me no gladness tonight. That brings me no joy. But here's what it does do. It helps me to remember, reminds me, Bill, get your eyes off of the temporal, off of the worldly, And get your eyes on heaven. Because what I've got there doesn't compare to anything they have here or you could possibly have here. Amen. And it's, it's godly wisdom that, that helps us keep those things in perspective. Maybe tonight this is just a reminder to you. Get your eyes off of that person at work who rolled up this week in a brand new car. Get your eyes off of those people at work that, that went to Vegas last weekend. Get your eyes off of, of, of people who talk about all the things they have and all of that. And listen, get your eyes on heaven. Have the right perspective. And then verses 16 through 18, wisdom and balancing spirituality. Be not righteous over much. Translated, don't be overly righteous. Neither make thyself overwise. Why shouldest thou destroy thyself? Be not overmuch wicked. Neither be thou foolish. Why shouldest thou die before thy time? It is good that thou shouldest take hold of this. Yea, also from this withdraw not thine hand. He that feareth God shall come forth of them all. Now please do not read verses 16 and 17 
to mean that we're not to get too radical about being righteous, nor are we to get too wild when it comes to wickedness. That somehow we're supposed to have this balance in our life. Listen, being a little wicked is like being a little pregnant. I mean, is it really possible for a sinful being in whom dwelleth no good thing? As I look out over, over those that are here tonight, and, and, and including myself, honestly, is it possible that we could be too righteous? Is there a sinner here tonight? And I'm not talking about self-righteousness. I'm talking about holiness, godliness, purity. Is it even possible for someone who is a sinner from the inside out, is it even possible to be too godly? Is it even possible to be too holy? Is it even possible to be too much like Jesus? I think not. I mean, the Bible says that that no good thing dwells in us. Verse 17 is a warning against sinning to the point that God has to take you out of this life. And if you think that God would never do that, you're mistaken. Because the Bible does talk about sinning to a point where there is no remedy. God is very patient, make no mistake about that. And some of us tonight ought to be thankful that he is. Amen? God is very patient, and God is very long-suffering. But there comes a time when in his unerring judgment, he just says, enough's enough. I'm done with you. The admonition found in verse 16 is against, as I said, self-righteousness and and pride. It is an utter impossibility for us to love God too greatly or to honor God too highly or to serve God too earnestly or to trust Him too implicitly. You'll never, you don't have to worry about doing any of those things. Because here's what the Bible says. We are to love him with all of our heart. And all of our soul. And all of our strength. And all of our mind. Verse 18 is a call to take hold of godly wisdom, which begins, according to Proverbs 9.10, with the fear of the Lord. Solomon said, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And I'll end with this tonight. The proper fear of God will keep us from being self-righteous, proud hypocrites that are no better than the worst kind of other sinners. Listen, a saved, self-righteous hypocrite is no worse than any other sinner 
that you could possibly imagine. And they both are sinful. 